1: Way we go, episode 79 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, June 8th, 2021, part of a very significant two-day stretch in D.C. sports history. It was three years ago today that we were celebrating the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup. The 4-3 win at the Vegas Golden Knights to win the Stanley Cup final, four games to one, took place on June 7th. 2018. It was 11 years ago tonight that Steven Strasburg made his major league debut, one of the most unforgettable games in D.C. sports history, a 5-2 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park. Strasburg, two runs in seven innings, 14 strikeouts versus no walks, just an incredible, unforgettable performance. His major league debut, June 8th, 2010. And also, if you really want to go back, it was 43 years ago this morning that DC was celebrating the Bullets winning an NBA title. This was before I was born, but a 105-99 win at the Seattle Supersonics in game seven of the 1978 NBA finals. That game happened on June 7th, 1978. June 7th and June 8th, two very special days in DC Sports Annals. The Bullets amazingly made the NBA Finals four times in the 1970s. That seems like make-believe land now, but that actually happened. Four Finals appearances in the decade of the 1970s for the franchise that was the Bullets, and now, of course, is the Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards! Exactly. Welcome aboard to a Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. This is a heavy Washington football team show. A bunch of Washington's assistant coaches spoke via Zoom press conference on Monday as mandatory minicamp week has begun. The actual minicamp due to take place Tuesday through Thursday. Ron Rivera, Don Ron, due to speak via zoom press conference each day but on Monday the assistant spoke so starting next segment you will hear from quarterbacks coach Ken Zampese on Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke tight ends coach Pete Hayner on Logan Thomas and Samis Reyes receivers coach Drew Terrell on Cam Sims and Steven Sims running backs coach Randy Jordan on Antonio Gibson JD McKissick and Jared Patterson Defensive backs coach Chris Harris on William Jackson III in the competition at free safety. Linebackers coach Steve Russ on Jamin Davis. Defensive line coach Sam Mills III on Matt Ioannidis and more. There's a lot of ground that we're going to cover on this show. No podcast, no show, no nothing covers the Washington football team like the Al Galdi podcast does. I can promise you that. Uh, We had both the Nationals and Orioles with no games on Monday. But we did have some encouraging developments for both teams regarding prospects i.e. players in the minors i.e. the future you know there's nothing in sports like the next big thing that's a big part of why the Strasburg debut is remembered so fondly well some good stuff regarding the potential next big things for both the Nats and Dos we'll talk about that later in the show you can tweet me at algaldi you can email me the algaldi podcast at yahoo.com i like this email that i got from michael uh, Wrote Michael, I really enjoy your podcast and congratulations on your success. Thank you, Michael. I just wanted to let you know that there is a waitress at this restaurant we frequent that laughs exactly like Coach Joe. It makes me think of you <laughs> and your favorite soundbite. I am wondering if she will be dialing up a sprint bomb pass play anytime soon. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar, Joe Gibbs' laugh is an all-time laugh. And yes, that is one of my favorite sound bites. The Joe Gibbs laugh bite. (laughs) There it is right there. Nobody has ever had a more infectious laugh than Coach Joe Gibbs. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, come on. How do you hear that and not at least crack a smile if not laugh outright yourself? And, you know, I've thought about this. Like, why is that laugh so endearing? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there it is again. You can't hear it enough. Why is that laugh so warm and welcoming? Why does that laugh put a smile on our faces? And of course, a lot of it has to do with who's doing the laugh, right? Joe Gibbs, maybe the single most popular person in the history of Washington, D.C. sports. But I think there's another reason, too. So Joe Gibbs, of course, came to prominence in the 1980s. Those of you who were around in the 1980s may remember the movie franchise Revenge of the nerds, okay? And there was a nerd laugh that kind of became a thing back then. I was a kid when Revenge of the Nerds was out. I did end up seeing one or two of the movies, even though I probably wasn't supposed to. Uh, but Revenge of the Nerds and the laughter from the nerds themselves, that became kind of a thing back in the 80s. And let's be honest, Joe Gibbs' laugh is a Revenge of the Nerds-like laugh. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there it is right there. You know, that's not the laugh of some, you know, 240 pound college linebacker. Okay. That's the laugh of, you know, kind of a geeky guy who's almost ashamed that he's laughing, but he can't keep himself from laughing. That's what it sounds like when Joe Gibbs laughs. So that I think is a big part of why that laugh resonates with us all these years later. It's such a non-threatening, innocent, benign laugh from coach Joe. You got to love it. Well, I'm not sure how much laughter will be taking place this week as the Washington football team conducts its mandatory minicamp. I do know, though, that there will be plenty of football conducted and discussed, and we get into that right now. All right, so the Washington football team's 2021 mandatory minicamp begins on Tuesday, is set to last Tuesday through Thursday. Now, Jay Gruden used to cancel the Thursday practice of the mandatory minicamp, like every year. We'll see if Ron Rivera does that. I tend to think that he won't, A, because Ron isn't Jay, and (laughs) and B... Because Ron already canceled the third week of OTA practices. This week, understand, wasn't supposed to be mandatory minicamp week. This was supposed to be week three of OTA practices. But Ron canceled the third batch of OTA practices and moved up the mandatory minicamp, which marks the end of the offseason program, so that everyone could begin their breaks before training camp a week earlier. And Ron did this because of the great attendance by Washington players at week one of OTA practices, which are, of course, technically, voluntary. So you have under the umbrella of off-season practices in the NFL, three things, rookie minicamp, OTA practices, and the mandatory minicamp. OTA practices are voluntary. The mandatory minicamp is, wait for it, mandatory. No-showing the mandatory minicamp is a big no-no. That can cost a player a lot of money. The two most famous instances of a Washington player, no-showing a mandatory minicamp, Albert Hainsworth, in 2010, and Trent Williams in 2019. I was at Skins Park in 2010 on the day on which Hainsworth no-showed the mandatory minicamp that was someday. I'll never forget that. Mike Shanahan was furious. London Fletcher ripped Hainsworth, said he made a selfish decision. It was quite the scene, man. Anyway, we expect no such controversy this year. Chase Young, in case you're curious, was at Washington football team headquarters on Monday, this off skipping the two weeks of OTA practices. We know that Chase was at team headquarters on Monday because the team clearly strategically tweeted out a video of Chase inside the indoor practice facility, The Bubble, saying that he was suited and booted. Here you go.
2: Chase Young checking in. Got the jersey on, suited and booted. Y'all know what time it is.
1: Yes, sir. We do know what time it is. It's time for you to show up because otherwise you're going to get fined. Uh, So Rod Rivera is set to speak via Zoom press conference on each day of the mandatory minicamp. Presumably a bunch of players will be speaking too. I would think that Chase Young will be one of those players, and if he is, it's going to be interesting to hear his justification for no-showing the OTA practices, and I know they are voluntary, but as I have said, while I'm not angry that Chase no-showed the OTA practices, and I don't think that Chase no-showing the OTA practices will in any way impact his play in the 2021 season, I am disappointed that Chase no-showed the OTA practices, especially given that the guy became a captain Last December. Remember, it was Chase who was given the captaincy that was stripped from Dwayne Haskins for Strippergate. Isn't that appropriate, by the way? Strippergate led to Dwayne being, yes, stripped of his captaincy. Oh, the poetry of it all. Anyway, on Monday, we had a bunch of Washington's assistant coaches speaking via Zoom press conference, and there's a lot I want to get into here with you. So we'll begin with Washington's quarterback's coach, Ken Zampese. Ken Zampese is the son of Ernie. Zampezi, a longtime NFL offensive assistant who actually served as an offensive consultant for Washington in 2004, that first season of Joe Gibbs' second go-round as Washington head coach. Ernie Zampezi coached in the NFL for 36 years, beginning with the San Diego Chargers in 1967. Ernie was the Chargers receivers coach from 1979 through 1982. Why is that relevant? Because he worked with then Chargers offensive coordinator Joe Gibbs under then head coach Don Coryell in 1979 and 1980. Ernie succeeded North Turner as Dallas's offensive coordinator from 1994 through 1997, off North, leaving the Cowboys to become Washington's head coach. So there are a lot of connections when it comes to the Zampezis and Washington, and Ken Zampezis is now Washington's quarterback's coach. He is a very respected quarterback's coach. This, to me, was one of the better additions to Washington's coaching staff upon Ron Rivera becoming head coach in January 2020. Ken Zampezis was the Cincinnati Bengals quarterback's coach from 2003 through 2015, it was under his watch that Carson Palmer and Andy Dalton thrived. It was under Ken Zampese's watch that John Kitna won 2003 Comeback Player of the Year awards from both the Associated Press and the Pro Football Writers Association of America. Also, Ken Zampese was the Cleveland Browns quarterback's coach in 2018, during which Baker Mayfield had an NFL rookie record. 27 touchdown passes, but it was during Ken's tenure as Bengals quarterbacks coach that he worked with Ryan Fitzpatrick who played for Cincinnati in the 2007 and 2008 seasons and PC on Monday on how Fitzpatrick has changed since the two worked together while on the Bengals.
3: Oh, it's like a new guy. It's been so long since we've been together, uh, had a great time. The first time, second time around is going to be good too. You could see the experience, the different uh, teams he's been with, concepts he's had, coaches that he's had, and just his own perseverance through banging around and bouncing around and, and really playing his best football in his uh, last
1: couple of years. And that is the thing, right? Fitzpatrick has played his best football over the last few seasons. Fitzpatrick finished the 2018 regular season number one in the NFL in yards per pass attempt at 96 Fitzpatrick finished each of the last two regular seasons top 10 in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR. Zampezi on Fitzpatrick peaking in recent seasons as he's entering his age 39 season.
3: I know I'm glad you brought that up. That's what's so <laughs> exciting about Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's that's why I was so happy to get him here. Like you said, most guys go the other way. There's a certain level of comfort that they get and they go the other way. I think he has such a an extreme desire to excel and, and to be in the, in the top group of quarterbacks and compete at that level, I think he's ultra-competitive. And I think that's what we're seeing when we watch his career get better as it goes on uh, from banging and bouncing around and making the most of his opportunities and always learning.
1: As we have discussed on the podcast, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the opposite of a lot of what we have been seeing with Washington, a quarterback in recent seasons. Per the NFL's next-gen stats, the quarterbacks with the two lowest average completed air yards last regular season were Alex Smith at 3.8 and Dwayne Haskins at 3.6. Yes, the two worst quarterbacks in the NFL last regular season in terms of average completed air yards were Washington quarterbacks. Fitzpatrick last regular season was 13th in the NFL in average completed air yards at 6.5. FitzPatrick in the 2019 regular season it was 5th in the NFL in average completed air yards at 7.1. FitzPatrick in the 2018 regular season it was number 1 in the NFL in average completed air yards at 8.8. Running backs coach Randy Jordan on what having a willing deep thrower like FitzPatrick a notorious chucker right his nickname is YOLO Fitz Will mean for Washington's running game.
2: I think the biggest thing is uh, one thing that that I love about him. He's going he's going to push the ball down the field. He's going to make you guard every blade of grass. And for, uh, for the running game, uh, I think that's going to allow possibility of having you know, split safety looks where you get light boxes um and what i've seen so far from him he's been a really really good leader uh, to these guys especially you know with my position being a young group understanding protections i'll go back to that again and uh making sure that everybody's on the same page um so he's going to bring a wealth of experience uh to our offensive uh group and we're looking forward to working with
1: him. yeah i don't know about you but listening to randy jordan there he sure sounds happy that the Washington passing game in 2021 might actually have a pulse when it comes to throwing the ball down the field. Washington has been so lacking in the explosive passing play for years now. Hopefully that finally is about to change. If in fact, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the QB one in 2021, if nothing else that should change with Fitzpatrick as Washington starting quarterback. Now, what about Taylor Heineke? He has barely been talked about this offseason. He, to me, deserves to be a factor in Washington's quarterback situation. I want the open, honest, good faith competition between Fitzpatrick Heineke and Kyle Allen. May the best man win. But off Heineke's incredible performance in the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wildcard round this past January, we just haven't heard much about Heineke this offseason. He has largely been dismissed by people as a factor and Washington's quarterback situation. I do not see things that way. Fitzpatrick certainly is the favorite to be Washington's QB1 in 2021, but Heineke should not just be ignored. And the dude now is jacked. He's put on 15 pounds of mass this offseason, according to him, in an attempt to stop being injury prone. Zampezi on Monday on Heineke. I'm really
3: excited about uh, his potential. I got a chance to see it in person like you guys did as well. And then just the behind the scenes and watching his process through the week and, and how tough he is, how he studies, how important it is to him, gives me a great deal of confidence that we can we can keep making strides uh, here with him in our program.
1: That's the thing about Heineke. He works hard. He prepares. You don't do what he did, get signed to the practice squad last December 8th, and then go toe-to-toe with Tom Brady in a playoff game on January 9th by not working your tail off. That stuff about Dwayne Haskins showing up late to meetings while he was Washington starting quarterback last season, that wasn't a problem with Taylor Heineke. The problem for Heineke has been injury. He seemingly gets hurt whenever he plays. 2017, he made his NFL debut in a Week 16 relief outing for the Houston Texans, suffered a concussion. 2018, he made his first NFL regular season start in Week 16, suffered a season-ending left elbow injury. 2020 season, he started, right, played great in the Washington 31-23 loss to the Bucks at FedEx Field on Super Wild Card Weekend, but he suffered that AC joint separation in the left shoulder on the spectacular third-quarter, third-and-five, eight-yard shotgun scramble touchdown run. And so with that as a backdrop, take a listen to this. Zampisi on Monday, on the keys for Heineke to prove that he's more than just a flash in the pan.
3: Stay on the field. The rest of it is, is spoke for itself here this past year. Five quarters. Yeah, okay, five quarters, but damn, it's a pretty good five quarters right there. We could have that five quarters. Let's extrapolate that out into the whole season. Wow, that'd be pretty good. So we're going to try to keep him healthy, get him further along in his understanding of the offense. And, and being comfortable with us and what we're doing and the players around him. And good things will happen because he wants to. He's got a lot of grit and toughness. And shoot, he fought back off the couch. Like you said, he wasn't on a roster. There's 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 a guy that's kicked around. That's my kind of guy. He got kicked around a little bit. He's hungry, and and I'm really excited he's here.
1: Listen to Zampezi talk up Heineke. If Heineke can stay healthy, what could he be? Remember, Heineke and that playoff loss to the Bucks. Made just his second career NFL start, his first since December 23rd, 2018, and he earned an overall grade for the game per Pro Football Focus of 92.0, highest single game grade for a Washington quarterback in nearly 14 years. As for Washington's skill positions on offense, one of the Washington football team assistant coaches who I enjoyed hearing the most from on Monday was the tight ends coach. Pete Hayner. Pete Hayner is one of the most respected tight ends coaches in the NFL. He spent nine seasons as Carolina Panthers tight ends coach, 2011 through 2019, worked with Ron Rivera for the entirety of his tenure as Panthers head coach. It was under Hayner's watch that Greg Olson became one of the NFL's best tight ends. Prior to serving as Panthers tight ends coach, Hayner was a San Francisco 49ers tight ends coach from 2005 through 2010, was instrumental in the development of Vernon Davis. Of course, last season was a breakout season for Logan Thomas. Washington signed him in March 2020. Thomas, a converted quarterback, came to Washington, having in his career as a tight end totaled just 35 receptions on 54 targets. And yet, Thomas finished a 2020 regular season with 72 receptions for 670 yards and six touchdowns on 110 targets over 16 games. He became just the third tight end in Washington history to have a regular season with at least 70 receptions at least 650 receiving yards, and at least five receiving touchdowns. Joined Jordan Reed in 2015, Chris Cooley in 2005, and Ron has consistently credited Pete Hainer as having been instrumental in Washington signing Thomas in March 2020. It cracked me up. Ron would not credit Kyle Smith for seemingly anything as last season went on, but Ron would credit Pete Hainer for Logan Thomas. Take a listen to this. Hainer on Monday on what is the next step for Thomas.
4: Uh, the first thing you look for in any prospect in that position is what I call complete tight end traits. And in Logan, you go, and, and what I mean by that are things like the size. He's 6'6". Six, six, he was over 250. He ran 4'6 or better uh, coming out of college. He's got 34-inch arms. He's had 11-inch uh, hands. And you saw him on tape have first-step quickness, uh, uh, speed out of his breaks at times, um, he was just a guy that never got to play much. It didn't fit in wherever he was before. But he certainly had the, the traits that we're looking for for a complete tight end. And, and that in this system, we need a complete tight end. And that's a tight end that not only is a heck of a receiver, but he's a heck of a pass protector. Being able to block the best defensive end. Uh, he's, he's a heck of a run blocker. Uh, again, with all the different schemes we have of run blocking, he's involved in all of that. So these guys are part old linemen and part receivers, and uh, he can't have fit the bill in all of those and looking at him to, that a guy that, that had a chance maybe to develop. And where, where I see him, uh, I think right now, when I talk about a complete tight end, he, he's got to be in the, in the top five, six, or seven in the league as far as the way he blocks, um, his, his total attitude as a real pro, his leadership qualities. And then his production uh, as a receiver obviously is proven now. And I just look
1: for that to keep going up and up. So how about that? Pete Hainer calling Logan Thomas, one of the top five, six or seven complete tight ends in the NFL. And I know Hainer is Thomas's position coach. Like what is Hainer going to do? Trash Thomas? No, I get that. But at the same time, it's not like Hayner had to say that Thomas is one of the top five, six, or seven complete tight ends in the NFL either. And Hayner was very complimentary of Thomas as a blocker. You know, that's not something that we had necessarily heard a lot of. Has Thomas more or less reached his ceiling, or is there another significantly higher level that he can reach?
5: Oh, no, I think he, he's improved quite a bit uh, over, the, over the course of uh, our OTAs. Um, I, I think the way he's getting out of breaks now. Um, his total understanding of running the routes. Um, obviously he had an advantage of that being a quarterback once, um, that he can actually uh, really totally understand where he needs to be and where the quarterback expects him to be. And uh, I think he has a great a great ability to have a rapport with quarterbacks as being a guy that they can always count on. because if you look at uh, his season last year, he played in uh, over a thousand plays and was out there in every game. So as far as, uh, you know, probably the most reliable offensive player uh, and dependable player that we had on the team
1: last year. More effusive praise from Pete Hayner on Logan Thomas. What about another tight end on Washington's roster? Samis Reyes, the athletic freak, the slaying Chilean, as our friend Burgundy blog has called Reyes, the man who did so well at the University of Florida's Pro Day, that Washington actually signed him as an unrestricted free agent in April. Samis Reyes was a college basketball player at Tulane. He has never played football at any meaningful level, and yet here he is trying to play in the NFL. If anyone is going to be skeptical about Reyes, you would think that that person would be a grizzled tight ends coach like Pete Hayner, if anyone is going to look at someone like Reyes as nothing more than, you know, a muscled up pretty boy as someone who is all show and no go, you would think that that person would be someone who has seen it all at the tight end position as Hayner has. Here was Pete Hayner on Monday on Sammy's Reyes.
5: Well, the only thing I've got to compare it to is Chris Manhurst, who never played and played for me at Carolina. Uh, Chris is with Jacksonville now, mm-hmm. but, um, um, I think I, he, he's, he's doing a heck of a job. He's, he's got the right attitude. He's a very intelligent young man. Um, obviously a, a, a hard, hard worker. It's very important to him to make this. And he's diligent and he's in, in learning the offense. But again, it'll just take time to see, you know, uh, I told him when we started, I said, learning the offense is going to be the easiest thing to do. And, and probably the tight end position is the hardest to learn. Uh, on offense because of all the things we have to do i said well really what we would really tell and, and what you're really gonna have to work on is when it starts getting full speed out there the speed of the game and how quick the linemen are because we're just as big as strong as you are and being able to handle all that movement and uh on, on blocks releases running the routes uh, at full speed so i'm anxious to get him in camp but uh, i think he's got a great future
1: All right, so Hayner certainly didn't rip Reyes, but I don't know about you. I got the sense from Hayner there that he thinks that this is very much a challenge and a process for Reyes. And that doesn't mean that Reyes can't make this transition, but that does mean that what he's trying to do is really difficult. And him even making like the practice squad should probably be viewed as a win. If Reyes makes the season opening roster and is a contributor to any extent this upcoming season, that's a major win. Now, Washington, of course, took Boise State tight end John Bates in the fourth round of the 2021 draft. Washington needs a reliable TE2 to emerge. Logan Thomas was great in 2020, but he played a ton and basically was the only tight end targeted on the team. That's a dangerous way for a team to live at tight end. What if Thomas gets hurt? What if Thomas, for whatever reason, is struggling? What if you want to expand your offense with more 12 personnel? i.e. formations with one running back and two tight ends. Understand, Thomas finished the 2020 regular season tied with J.D. McKissick for number two on Washington in targets at 110. Terry McLaurin was number one at 134. Washington's other tight ends, Jeremy Sprinkle, Marcus Ball, and Tamaric Hemingway, combined for just six targets. So last regular season, Logan Thomas was targeted 110 times Washington's other tight ends, Sprinkle, Ball, and Hemingway combined for just six targets to give you an idea of the extent to which it was Logan Thomas and basically nothing else in terms of pass catching threats at tight end for the Washington football team last season. Pete Hainer on Monday on Washington's need for a reliable TE2.
5: That's the ultimate, uh, you know, we we want somebody because if they're on the team, obviously they're going to play and everybody has a chance to start once you make the team. So, um, uh, we need somebody to come through in that manner, and, and, and uh, uh, you know we've got uh, quite a few guys out there, and, and uh, guys look, we're looking to work hard and improve. So we'll find somebody. But, but you're right; we do need we do need that,
1: and um, uh, it has to come from that area. There. Washington has a new receivers coach in 2021. Drew Terrell, the Washington football team, on February 5th announced the promotion of receivers coach Jim Hostler to senior offensive assistant and the promotion of assistant receivers coach Drew Terrell to receivers coach. And Terrell spoke via Zoom press conference on Monday. The most interesting things that Terrell said had to do with the Simses, Cam Sims and Steven Sims. No relation. Uh, We'll start with Cam Sims. Washington in March re-signed Cam to a one-year $2.133 million restricted free agent tender. He's going into his age 25 season. He is, of course, big. Washington lists Cam as being 6'5 and 220 pounds. Cam in the 2020 regular season over 16 games, 32 receptions for 477 yards and a touchdown on 48 targets. There were two performances in particular that stood out. The 23-20 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field in Week 9. Cam in that game, three receptions for 110 yards on four targets. The 23-17 win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in that Monday evening game in Week 13. Cam in that game, five receptions for 92 yards on nine targets. Cam also had a big game in the playoff loss to the Bucs at FedEx Field on Super Wild Card Weekend. Seven receptions for 104 yards on 13 targets. Cam in that game played on every Washington game offensive snap had a really good thing going with Taylor Heineke, but also for Cam in the 2020 season were too many drops. And in fact, speaking of Cam and Heineke, Cam did Heineke dirty on multiple occasions. If you remember Heineke's relief appearance in that 2013 loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field in week 16, uh, also known as Dwayne Haskins' last stand, uh, Heineke comes into the game, first drive of the game for him, you have in the fourth quarter a turnover on downs and a key play on that drive. Cam Sims with a brutal drop of a beautifully thrown deep ball by Heineke on a first and 10 shotgun incompletion. And then in the playoff loss to the Bucks, Washington's first offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out. Second snap of that drive. A diving Cam Sims, who probably should have just kept running, had a drop while wide open on a Heineke second and 14 deep shotgun incompletion. So Cam Sims is far from a finished product. But Cam Sims has size, Cam Sims has playmaking ability, and Cam Sims produced as last season went on. Drew Terrell on Monday with some very strong praise for Cam Sims.
6: Yeah, we, we relied on Cam heavily last year. Uh, he, was, he was kind of the glue of our group. Um, he, uh, you know, from training camp to the end of the season, you really saw his, his mindset and the way he attacked it change. He became a true pro last year, I thought, um, and, and we relied on him a ton. Um, and it, it's all a credit to him and his mindset and the way he works. He's done a fantastic job. He's only a guy that's that's getting better and better, and you can see that every day. He practices butt off. Um he's you know, one of the one of the smartest guys in the room in terms of being able to move him around and being able to adjust. Um he's he's doing a really, really good job. Really excited for Cam and what's ahead.
1: As for Steven Sims, uh look, he's in danger of not even making the team. I mean, Washington and March signed Curtis Samuel and Adam Humphreys. Washington with its second, third round pick in the 2021 draft took the North Carolina receiver Dayami Brown. Washington has Antonio Gandy-Golden coming off an injury-marred rookie season. Washington has Kelvin Harmon coming back off missing all of the 2020 season due to having suffered the torn right ACL and torn right LCL while working out in the 2020 offseason. And Washington, of course, has Terry McLaurin. You tell me if there's room for Stephen Sims for Washington at receiver going into the 2021 season. He did have an encouraging 2019 rookie season. That is true. It was especially good in December of 2019. But Stephen Sims in the 2020 regular season over 12 games had just 27 receptions for 265 yards and a touchdown on 37 targets. He missed four games due to a toe injury. He was guilty of way too many drops, and he was bad on punt returns. He averages 6.7 yards over 24 punt returns and had way too many fumbles. Now, Steven Sims in the playoff loss to the Bucks did have a big touchdown catch, and this should not be forgotten. Touchdown catch was actually a thing of beauty. It came on the drive that followed Taylor Heineke, having just gotten his left shoulder taped up. 11 plays, 75 yards. Heineke, a fourth quarter, third and 10, 11-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Steven Sims, who did a great job of dragging his left cleat to stay in bounds in the end zone. The ensuing Dustin Hopkins extra point cut Washington's deficit to 28-23. But that was one play in one game. 2020 overall, not a good season for Steven Sims. Drew Terrell on Monday on whether Steven Sims can be productive for Washington in 2021.
6: Yeah, absolutely he can. I mean, competition is going to be good for everybody. Competition is the name of the NFL. Um, you know, the fact that we uh, created more competition in the room doesn't affect Stevens race. It's funny, I put up earlier in, um, in OTAs, I put up the I'm sure you guys have all seen that picture of Michael Phelps in the Olympics when there's that guy next to him that's, like, staring at him as he's about to finish and win his, however, 21st gold medal or whatever it was. I tell those guys to run their own race um, because it, it it doesn't matter what the next man does. It's all it's all about your personal development and your your process. Everybody's process is different. Um, and Steven is, is a guy that's mature and, and attacks that the right way. He's one of the hardest practice players um, that I've, that I've been on. He works his butt off in practice. He asks the right questions. He's going to go about it the right way. Um, and I think, you know, he knows that, like I said, the competition is always going to be there. It's not something you can shy away from. Um, whether it's, you know, this year, next year, the year after that, as long as you're in the NFL, it's going to be competitive. So, and that's, that's a good thing for all of us because it elevates all of us. Um, and so he's, he's going about it the right way. He's just got to stay focused on his
1: process. Also speaking via Zoom press conference on Monday was Washington running backs coach Randy Jordan, one of just two coaching staff holdovers from Jay Gruden's staff, Ron Rivera kept two guys from Jay's staff, running backs coach Randy Jordan and special teams coordinator Nate Katzer. That's a credit to those guys because as we have seen this offseason with Don Ron's godfather-like baptism of fire, the Don is not shy about whacking those who have been here but who he no longer wants here. Among those who Randy talked about was Antonio Gibson. Now, Gibson in a Zoom press conference of his own after Washington's OTA practice last Wednesday said that he was still working through that turf toe injury that plagued him late last season and wasn't 100% yet. That's at least somewhat concerning, right? And we're talking, you know, many months removed from when the injury was suffered and Gibson still wasn't 100%. Gibson last December missed two consecutive games due to the turf toe injury, which was suffered in the 23-17 win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 13. But Gibson still ended up having a very good 2020 rookie season. Washington took Gibson in the third round of the 2020 NFL Draft out of Memphis. Gibson finished the 2020 regular season with 1,045 scrimmage yards, became just the seventh rookie in franchise history, and the first since running back Alfred Morris in 2012 to have at least 1,000 scrimmage yards. How about this for Pro Football Focus? Gibson in the 2020 regular season gained positive yardage on 96.2% of his rushes, the highest such rate among qualified running backs in a season since 2012. I couldn't get over that stat when I saw that. That really is something else, especially when you consider that Gibson in 2020, right, was making the transition to being a full-time running back off having been a combo running back receiver at Memphis. And when you consider that Washington's passing game in 2020 was statistically speaking the worst in the NFL. Now, there is another level that Gibson can get to, especially when you consider him as a pass catcher. The truth is that Gibson in the 2020 regular season wasn't utilized as much as he can be. Gibson at Memphis, as mentioned, was a combo running back receiver. He, in his final season at Memphis 2019, averaged 19.3 yards per reception. But Gibson last regular season had just 36 receptions for 247 yards on 44 targets. For comparison's sake, J.D. McKissick last regular season had 80 receptions for 589 yards and two touchdowns on 110 targets. Randy Jordan on Monday on what Gibson needs to get used to to become more of a factor in Washington's passing game.
2: Well, I think the biggest thing is uh, Coach Turner does a great job in terms of moving, like, moving our guys around. and I think uh, for him, it's, it's just Little things like you know what his splits are when he goes out to the receiver position, which is a good thing because you know one thing jokingly he he uh, said uh, in a meeting one time was that you know he looked himself, looked at himself at the receiver position and he was like, "Dad, I almost forgot how to play the receiver position." So that's that's a good thing from a running st- running back standpoint. Um, you know that he's he's really taking that first year to to really learn the running back position, and so I think the biggest thing is where he where he aligns what his split is, and then just executing the route like we want to uh, from a receiver standpoint. So uh, I think first and foremost, he's a football player. So uh, the more he does it, the more opportunities he has, has to do it. he'll get better
1: at it. Of course, the running back who was the biggest factor in Washington's passing game in the 2020 season was J.D. McKissick. He finished the 2020 regular season with 80 receptions, the second most receptions ever in a season by a Washington running back and McKissick in the 2020 regular season was targeted 110 times. Now, McKissick at Arkansas State was actually a receiver. He over four seasons for the Red Wolves. Yes, Arkansas State is the Red Wolves. Uh, had 289 career receptions as compared to just 47 career carries. That's what's so funny about Washington at running back now. Your top two running backs are two converted receivers, essentially. Randy Jordan on Monday on McKissick's heavy pass catching load last season.
2: Well, I think the biggest thing is with J.D. is that, uh, you know, coming from a receivers, you know, he was also a receiver, too, um, is that he sees the whole picture, you know, and his flexibility um, was really, really important. It's going to be important again. But I think that the thing that he he has to continue to do is master all the things that it takes for him to be successful this past year and continue it. This year. And the thing that I've talked to him about is um, turning those little screen passes, those little uh, five yards, six yard routes, turn those into instead of 10. Let's turn those into 50 and 60 yard splash plays, you know, challenge them in, in that area. And one thing that he can do, he can run routes out of the backfield and you have to account for that. And so it's just another way of being able to get the football to a talented guy like J.D., And uh, I think that he continues to progress as a player. uh, He's going to do some good things
1: for us. And McKissick, of course, did some very good things for Washington last season. Someone who came up a good amount during Randy Jordan's Zoom press conference on Monday was the undrafted running back Jarrett Patterson, the lone undrafted rookie signed by Washington in the immediate aftermath of the 2021 NFL Draft. So Patterson is a local. He went to St. Vincent Pilati High School in Laurel, Maryland. Patterson had three consecutive 1,000-yard rushing seasons for Buffalo, 2018 through 2020. He, over those three seasons for the Bulls, averaged 6.11 yards per carry, totaled 52 rushing touchdowns. And Patterson, in his 2020 junior season for Buffalo, despite playing in just five games, had 1,072 rushing yards and 19 rushing touchdowns. I said weeks ago that Jarrett Patterson will be a classic preseason slash August hero for Washington this year along the lines of a Marcus Mason or a Colt Brennan. I think we're going to see a lot of Jarrett Patterson in the preseason. I think he's going to do well. In the preseason, the problem for Patterson is that Washington is bringing back its top three running backs from last season, in Gibson, McKissick, and Peyton Barber. So, making the season-opening roster won't be easy, but it's not impossible. Randy Jordan on Monday on Patterson.
2: Oh, I tell you this—he's—he's uh, he's a guy that uh, we're really excited about. He's doing a heck of a job for us. Uh, I think the biggest thing for him is uh, for any uh, guy coming out of college is a protection part and uh, just getting the understanding of how important uh, protection is, understanding uh, schematically what we're trying to do in terms of trying to protect the quarterback. Uh, but he's picking up things real well. He's shown the ability uh, to catch the ball out of the backfield, which was something that we kind of uh, didn't see on tape, which was uh, really, really good to see through these OTAs. But he's uh, he's doing really well and he's progressing um, as a young player.
1: Two things about Jarrett Patterson regarding him potentially being on the Washington football team in the 2021 season. One, we have seen plenty of undrafted running backs produce. Ask any Baltimore Ravens fan about Gus Edwards. Two, you never know what can happen with a position group. It was at this time last year that running back for the Washington football team, which wasn't even the Washington football team at the time, was all about who, right? Adrian Peterson and Darius Geis. And neither guy ended up being on the team to begin the 2020 season. Now, two very different reasons for why neither guy was on the team to begin the 2020 season. But raise your hand if you thought that that was going to be the case at this time last year. Now, I'm not saying that something like what happened in 2020 is going to happen in 2021 and that like neither Antonio Gibson nor J.D. McKissick will be on Washington to begin the 2021 season. But you get the idea. You just never know. So dismiss Jared Patterson at your own peril. Like I said, I think he's going to kill it come the preseason.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: We turn our attention now to Washington defensive assistants who spoke via Zoom press conference on Monday. Chris Harris is Washington's defensive backs coach. He worked wonders for Ronald Darby in the 2020 season. The Philadelphia Eagles this past January actually interviewed Harris for their defensive coordinator job. In fact, here was Harris on Monday on having interviewed for that Eagles defensive coordinator job.
7: Uh, it it was a very, uh, it was a good process. It was a humbling process. Um, um, to be able to uh go and interview for for two spots as defensive coordinator uh in my young career, only having been a DB coach for one season. And so um I it was I learned some very valuable things while going in, understanding the the interview process for a coordinator position. Um so I, I was very thrilled and uh and, and happy with the way uh the the interview process went for me. Um, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm happy I'm here. I'm I'm glad I'm here because I think we got something special brewing. But um, that that, um, experience uh, was very valuable for me.
1: Yeah, so Chris Harris was an NFL defensive back from 2005 to 2012. He was the Los Angeles Chargers assistant defensive backs coach from 2016 through 2019. It was under the watch of Chris Harris that the Chargers had two first-team all-pro defensive backs in 2018. Rookie safety Derwin James and Desmond King. You know, Washington has had a revolving door when it comes to defensive backs coach, right? You had Ray Horton in 2019. You had Torian Gray, In 2017 and 2018. You had Perry Fuel in 2015 and 2016. You had Raheem Morris from 2012 through 2014. You've had a lot of defensive back miscommunication. You've had a lot in the way of bad third down defense. Things were so much better last season. Chris Harris gets a lot of the credit for that. Here was Harris on Monday on his impressions so far of William Jackson III, with whom Washington on March 16th, the second day of the NFL's legal tampering period, agreed on a three-year, $40.5 million contract with $26 million in guaranteed money. He figures to be Washington's top corner this upcoming season. What has stood out to Harris so far?
7: I think Williams come in, uh, he's he's done a really good job uh, picking up the defense, um, learning the scheme, uh, and, and trying to play within the scheme. So uh, I'm excited. My first looks at him, you know, he's a, uh, a nice, uh, he's got really good size, really good length uh, for the corner position um, and has really good feet.
1: What about the competition at free safety? Presumably that's Bobby McCain versus DeShazer Everett versus Jeremy Reeves. I say presumably because I am presuming that Cameron Curl is staying at strong safety. But regarding McCain versus Everett versus Reeves, you really can make a strong case for each guy. Washington on May 17th signed McCain off him having been released by the Miami Dolphins. Bobby McCain's a guy who played a lot for a 2020 Dolphins defense That was very good against the pass. McCain in the 2020 regular season started 15 of the Dolphins' 16 games, was number two on the team in defensive snaps, and he did this for a Dolphins team that finished number six in the NFL in pass defense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric and number one in the NFL in third down defense. McCain is relatively young, has been mostly durable. He's going into just his age 28 season. He, over his six seasons with the Dolphins, played an 87 of a possible 96 regular season games. Bobby McCain offers position flex. He, for the Dolphins, played both free safety and nickel corner. And Bobby McCain, in theory, fits the Ron Rivera culture reset. McCain was a captain for the Dolphins, in the 2020 season, and he's a great story. Dolphins took McCain in the fifth round of the 2015 NFL Draft out of Memphis. You look at DeShazer Everett. He brought stability to the back end off the Troy Apke fail but did deal with injuries. So Everett last regular season played in 11 games with six starts. He, beginning with the 2019 loss at the New York Giants in week six, became Washington starting free safety. Started in that game at free safety over Apke, who had started at free safety in each of Washington's first five games of the 2020 season. So DeShazer started four consecutive games, then missed two straight games due to an ankle injury, then started the next two games, then was placed on the reserve-slash-injured list on December 17th due to a chest injury that was suffered in that 23-15 win over the San Francisco 49ers in Arizona in Week 14. And then with Jeremy Reeves, he started each of Washington's last three regular season games and the loss of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the Wild Card round. Reeves, in the 2020 regular season, registered an overall grade for pro football focus of 84.1% highest single season overall grade for a Washington safety since Sean Taylor's 84.9 in 2007. Yes, not since the great Sean T had someone done as Reeves did from a perspective of the pro football focus overall grade in 2020. Chris Harris on Monday on what he's looking for in the free safety competition.
7: Uh, that, that spot is a spot that a guy, he's got to be able to make a play on football um, first and foremost. So we, we've got to make sure that we're getting uh, production, ball production um, out of that position. Uh, we got to make sure that uh, guys are pretty solid open field tacklers because they are the last line of a defense at the free safety spot. So that'll be one thing that we'll definitely be looking at. And we want a, a field general a guy that um can take command of the secondary make checks in the back end get guys lined up in the uh, right spots that they need to be and so that's kind of all those things that we're looking for at this spot and I think we have some really good candidates um for that position so I'm excited to see how the thing plays out uh, the guys are very competitive the guys are competing I mean and they're they're helping each other out so it's it's beautiful to watch it's beautiful to see I think we have a really tight knit group in the secondary And um, it kind of plays out on the field.
1: One thing I do feel confident in saying is whoever wins the free safety competition, you're going to feel good about because there are things to like about all three guys. And Washington seemingly has a depth at free safety that the team has not had in a very long time. Washington's linebackers coach is Steve Russ. He is a Tucker. Uh, The Washington football team with the number 19 pick in the first round of the 2021 draft, of course, took a linebacker in Kentucky's Jamin Davis. Here was Russ on Monday on Davis.
8: Uh, Right off the bat, his size and athleticism coupled together really, really jump off the tape. Uh, He played very, very hard. Uh, I really liked how, as I watched the entire season, He got better and better and better and better and better as the year went on, as you would want to see from a young man that had not played a lot of football yet for him. Uh, I really liked his instincts. And a lot of times when people talk about instincts, they talk about instincts in the running game. I thought he had those, obviously, but I thought he had excellent instincts in the passing game. And they were doing schemes that were similar, obviously, to some of the things that you saw in the NFL. And you could see those things directly translate in, in the field that he had for coverage. And sometimes for for younger linebackers, trying to get them to feel zone coverage, because the college offensive game is quite different than the the NFL offensive game in that regard, uh, is a little bit of a transition. And he had those instincts. So that was really fun to see as well. I saw a young man that played very hard. He played with fire. He played with passion. Uh, He was physical and tough. There was not a lot of leaky yards when he hit people. Uh, you know, so I really, I really liked just how he played. And then I got to meet him, you know, over zoom, of course, uh, and spend some time with him talking football. You saw how bright he was. You saw how passionate he was about the game of football. Uh, you saw how he had excellent recall. He had excellent command of what, not only what he was supposed to do, but what everybody was supposed to do around him. And, uh, I also coached with his defensive coordinator, uh, back at Wake Forest, we were together. So it's somebody that I trust and uh, he could not say, you know, enough great things about him as far as how he studied and how he prepared to play the game of football, how he practiced, how he approached meetings, how he studies off off the field with himself, uh, you know, by himself, uh, with other people. So, you know, you start coupling all of that together, and, and, and you, you've got a guy that works. He's a wonderful person, and you can see a guy that can really develop into to be a guy that could, could really lead men in this league. And, and that's what you're looking for, obviously, uh, you know, from your best players. You want your best players to be your best leaders, especially when you're talking about linebackers who have to quarterback the defense. So that's what I really, really enjoyed watching with him. And then I've seen a lot of that translate already with him here, you know, those same traits, uh, how hard he works, how much time he's putting in. He's coming in with the right mindset, uh, that I think a rookie needs to have. You know, you come in, you're not wide-eyed. Uh, yet at the same time, you're not entitled. You find that right mix, right down the middle of a guy that's going to come in. He's going to work. He's going to soak up everything he can from his coaches, from his fellow players. But at the same time, he's not going to act like you know he just fell off the tournament truck or he's wide-eyed or he's not taking anything for granted. And I love it. I think he's got the right approach. He's got the right mindset. And uh, I'm excited to continue to work with it, with him.
1: Like I said, Steve Russ is a talker. Although I thought that was an insightful answer. Some good stuff there on Jamin Davis. Sam Mills III is Washington's defensive line coach. And among the things he got into, Matt Ioannidis being back. You know, it's easy to forget this. As good as Washington's defense was last regular season, as improved as Washington's defense was from 2019 to 2020, Washington did as it did in 2020, despite going a good chunk of the season without Matt Ioannidis. Washington placed him on the reserve-slash-injured list on September 29th. Ioannidis suffered a torn left biceps in that 34-20 loss at the Cleveland Browns in Week 3. Now, it can be debated who is the best of the three when it comes to the IPA guys, the interior defensive linemen, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis. What cannot be debated is, is that Ionidas by far has been the most productive pass rusher of the three. It's not even close. Mills on Monday on the Golden Greek, Matt Ionidas coming back.
7: Oh, it helps us
4: tremendously. It's it's a stability factor that Matt gives us. um, You know, a big body that's played a lot of snaps inside. Uh, So I feel very comfortable with him in the game. I feel very comfortable with his leadership role. Um, You know, different things Matt does for us in uh, the run game and the pass rush game. That I'm very proud of him, and I look forward to watching him continue
0: that growth.
1: Yeah, I think the absence of Ioannidis for much of last season has been overlooked, and especially when you think about something like that playoff loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a game in which Tom Brady carved up the Washington defense. Look, I'm not saying that Washington wins that game if Ioannidis plays in it, but I would have liked to have seen what the game would have looked like with Ioannidis playing. Again, he's your best interior defensive lineman when it comes to rushing the passer, and it hasn't been close. Washington missed him last season. All right, so neither the Nationals nor the Orioles played on Monday, but we did have some significant stuff pop up regarding prospects for the Nats and the O's. So if you are a Nationals fan, there is the aggravation of the season that the team is in the midst of, but there also is a very big macro problem that cannot be ignored, and that is that the Nationals farm system is not in good shape. One of the reasons the Nats are in the situation that the Nats are in is that the Nats' farm system is not in a good way right now. There aren't many highly regarded prospects, and when it comes to reinforcements needed at the major league level, there's just not a lot to tap into. One of the reasons the Nats went with that bullpen game for what ended up being that debacle of a loss on Sunday afternoon, that 12-6 loss at the Philadelphia Phillies, was the Nats didn't have anyone in a minors who the Nats felt comfortable with summoning to the majors to make that start. This is a spot that the Nats are in, and it's not good, and things look even worse now this season because Carter Keboom looks like a total bust at this point. Carter Keeboom was a 2016 first round pick, and the Nats don't even feel comfortable with him at the major league level at this point. But with all of that said, Baseball America on Monday released the outlet's top 100 prospects list. Every so often, Baseball America pumps out its latest version of the top 100 prospects in baseball. Now, the bad news is just one Nationals prospect made the list. That's not good. That's reflective of, again, the Nats farm system not being in a good way right now. But the one Nats prospect who made the list made it in fine fashion. Starting pitcher Cade Cavalli, who the Nats took out of the University of Oklahoma with the number 22 pick in the 2020 MOB draft. He was ranked as the number 33 prospect in baseball, a 49 spot leap for Cavalli from where he ranked in Baseball America's previous top 100 prospects list. He went from number 82 to number 33. That is spectacular. That is awesome. That is encouraging if you're a Nationals fan. It has been forever since the Nationals drafted, developed, and reaped the benefit of a high-level starting pitcher. Really, the last guy who the Nats did this with is Steven Strasburg. Cade Cavalli can break that slide, and we're not there yet. We still have a ways to go before he's at the major league level, but man, is Cade Cavalli tracking well. Cavalli, over his first six starts this minor league season for the high A Wilmington Blue Rocks, has an ERA of 214, he has 56 strikeouts versus 10 walks in 33 in two-thirds innings. Great news from a Nationals perspective. And there was also this on Monday. Infielder Luis Garcia was named the Triple A East Player of the Week for the period ending June 6th. Garcia, over six games from May 31st through June 6th, had a .407 batting average with a .484 on base percentage and a 7.78 slugging percentage. He went 11-27 with three home runs, a double, nine runs batted in, and seven runs scored. Now look, Luis Garcia is not regarded as one of the better prospects in baseball, but he is regarded certainly as one of the Nationals' better prospects. And as this season goes on, and we have talked about the lack of depth for the Nationals in all kinds of ways, Maybe you do see Luis Garcia emerge as a factor. I think it has been telling that he has been called up a few times and has always been sent back down. Hopefully, the next time he gets called up is the last time he's called up, i.e. that means he's here to stay at the major league level. Now, for the Orioles. So it was just a few years ago that they were in the spot that the Nats are in right now with their farm system. The Orioles' farm system was barren. That was one of the big reasons the franchise went down the tubes a few years back. One of the real indictments of the Dan duquette buck Walter era was the wretched state of the farm system when both of those guys went bye-bye shortly after the end of the Orioles' 2018 season. Well, the Orioles, they've been a tanking team for multiple seasons. As I have talked about, it's not about wins and losses. It's about the development of the young players. As I have said, Pain now for pleasure later. Well, we're not at the point yet of reaping the benefits of the pleasure. But we're maybe just maybe getting closer. First of all, Ryan Mountcastle on Monday was named American League Player of the Week. And a lot of this had to do with what he did in the Orioles winning two or three games over the Cleveland Indians at Oriole Park at Camden Yards over the weekend. I talked about this on Monday's installment of the podcast. Mountcastle in that series, six for 12 with two homers, two doubles, two singles, five RBI and five runs. Mount Castle was struggling for a good chunk of this season, but he is surging right now. He has raised his OPS for the season by 153 points beginning with games on May 22nd. His OPS for the season since games started on May 22nd has gone from 576 to 729. Mount Castle homered in three consecutive games, first Orioles rookie to do that since Jonathan Scope. In September 2014, or as Dusty Baker once called him, Jonathan Shoop?
2: The one that shoe hit.
1: <laughs> yes, Dusty, the one that Shoop hit. Jonathan Scope, S C H O O P. It's Scope, not Shoop, Dusty.
2: The one that shoe hit.
1: No, Dusty, it's Scope, not Shoop. Anyway, great to see Ryan Mountcastle doing as he's doing. The O's took him with the number 36 overall pick in the 2015. draft. But maybe the more significant development for the O's on Monday was this. In that aforementioned Baseball America ranking of the top 100 prospects in baseball, the Orioles had five of the top 90 prospects in baseball. An Orioles farm system that was once barren is barren no more. You had the number two prospect in all of baseball in the Phenom, the catcher, Adley Rutschman, who the O's took with the number one pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of Oregon State. You had as the number 11 prospect in baseball and the number one pitching prospect in baseball, starter Grayson Rodriguez who the O's took with the number 11 overall pick in the 2018 MLB Draft. How about that? The Orioles have the number one pitching prospect in baseball for Baseball America in Grayson Rodriguez. Starter D.L. Hall was ranked by Baseball America as the number 44 prospect in baseball. The O's took Hall with the number 21 overall pick in the 2017 MLB Draft. Outfielder Heston Kerstad was the number 78 prospect In baseball, O's took him with the number two overall pick in the 2020 MLB draft. And shortstop slash third baseman, Gunnar Henderson, the number 90 prospect in baseball, O's took him in the second round of the 2019 MLB draft. Now, look, there is a saying when it comes to prospects, and that is this. Prospects are suspects until proven otherwise. And that is true. Having a bunch of highly regarded prospects is nice. Having a bunch of really good players producing for you at the major league level is better. So, until these guys deliver at the major league level, you got to calm down a little bit. However, when you are in the midst of a rebuild, the way the Orioles are, when you are in the midst of a total teardown, as the Orioles have been, something like this is a major sign of progress. And that's why I say to you, if you're an Orioles fan, don't get caught up in the wins and losses. Don't get caught up in something like, That recent 14 game losing streak. I know it's not fun, but divorce yourself from caring about wins and losses for now. The true wins are when young players do well. The true wins are things like what happened on Monday when a rising young player like Ryan Mountcastle wins American League Player of the Week, and when five of the top 90 prospects in baseball per Baseball America are players in the Orioles farm system. Say it again. Pain now, pleasure later. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at AlGaldi. You can email me the AlGaldi podcast at yahoo.com. On Wednesday's show, I will have for you full coverage of day one of the Washington football team's mandatory minicamp. Ron Rivera, Don Ron, will be speaking on Tuesday. Via Zoom press conference, so we'll have a lot to discuss. Also, the Nationals on Tuesday night begin a two-game series at the American League leading Tampa Bay Rays. The Orioles on Tuesday night begin a two-game series against the National League East leading New York Mets at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. I'll talk to you on Wednesday.
2: Chase Young know, checking in. Got the jersey on, suited and booted. you know what time it is.